I'm Leonard Lopate. Summer's here, and because the northern hemisphere tilts toward the sun during this time of year, we're getting longer, sunnier days. Joining us now with some tips for gardening at this time of the year is Pete Morosky, an environmentalist and nurseryman and the owner of Native Landscapes and Garden Center in Pauling, New York. And when Pete is here, we invite you to give us a call with your gardening questions. Our number is 212 212- Two zero nine two eight seven seven. That's two one two two zero nine twenty eight seventy seven. Hello, Pete. Welcome back to our show. Well, thank you, Leonard. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. Uh, this weather, the the this spring w- was up and down from a temperature and a precipitation perspective. We had periods of mild weather, hot weather, also very cold weather. But you say it's been a great spring and early summer growing season. I wouldn't have guessed as much. Well, Leonard, you know, we always start our show talking a little bit about the weather. And and nine out of ten times we start talking about the extremes we've been having in the weather. Mm. And I must say it's been pretty good. I mean, early spring started uh, being very cool and rainy, which you want going into the growing season. Uh, The summer has gotten gradually warmer and it's been a perfect growing season. But an interesting thing did happen in mid-June uh, up here in the Hudson Valley and to places north and even down into New York City and New Jersey. We got some very cold weather. Mm-hmm. Temperatures dropped into the 30s and lower 40s, which is unusual for that time of year. And it even got a little bit colder up in New Hampshire, Maine, and Vermont, where they did get snow uh, up in the northern reaches. Now, it did catch a lot of hikers off guard. And I was reading not long ago that up in the presidential range in New Hampshire, uh, many hikers who, who are, you know, good hikers who, who do this on a regular basis uh, got caught. And there were a lot of rescues that went on up in the uh, presidential range for people who weren't prepared for the cold weather and, and got hypothermia. And in fact, one, um, one hiker uh, did perish up there. So Ooh. I mentioned this, Leonard, because we got the 4th of July weekend approaching. And I just uh, want to say that, you know, many people do tend to go out into the wilderness during this time of year. I mean, up to the Appalachian Trail, uh, out hiking on Long Island on, uh, you know, and some of the great trails they have out there in New Jersey, up in Connecticut, Massachusetts. And this time of year, you want to be prepared. Make sure you got plenty of water. Make sure, you know, you don't uh, get too hot. Make, you know, uh, rest, uh, you know, get into the shade if you start uh, feeling a little dizzy. You know, um, hiking can be a lot of fun, but at the same time, if you're not prepared, it can be dangerous. Well, you mentioned the Appalachian Trail, which is the longest national park in the world. It happens to pass close to your garden center. Should I assume that uh, the pandemic has meant fewer people have walked it over the past couple of years? Well, Leonard, uh, what has happened, uh, the the trail was basically closed the last two years. Hmm. Not that you weren't allowed on it, but a lot of people did not hike the trail uh, because of the pandemic. We generally get thousands of hikers passing through the area. And uh, what happens is if you start in Georgia and you've worked your way up uh, to Pauling, New York, where we are, uh, you're two thirds of the way through when you're getting here right now. And, uh, you know, a lot of people stop and rest. We, we offer uh, uh, drinks, ice cream. We offer a respite. We offer showers here at the garden center. And this time of year, uh, you know, we've learned the rhythms of the trail. And, uh, you know, we welcome hikers. Like I said, it comes right through the garden center. And uh, when they've got here, uh, they got a, if they're heading north. They got a third of the uh, way to go. Now, there's a little bit of a there's a little bit of a change in the National Park Service and how they're handling hikers now. They they don't want everybody to start in Georgia because uh, we're starting. They're starting to rut the trail out a little bit. So they're suggesting that uh, to flip flop the trail to start in Harpers Ferry, West Virginia, walk up to Mount Katahdin, Maine, go back to Harpers Ferry and work it south hmm. uh, because just so that they don't create too many erosion issues on the trail and uh, that the hiking experience uh, stays as, as good and happy as it's always been. 
A reminder that when Pete is on our show, we take your calls and we cover a wide range of, of gardening issues. We'll, we'll discuss some of them along the way. But if you have a question, again, the number is 212-209-2877. Has the weather had a positive effect on some plants? Did the fluctuating weather have an impact on the ticks and other insects that come with spring? Well, you know, Leonard, it's interesting that you mentioned ticks because early in the season, uh, the tick problem was really bad up here in the Hudson Valley. And uh, most recently, I've done a few hikes uh, with the dogs, and the ticks aren't as bad as they were a month or so ago. Uh, so I'm going to say that uh, maybe that cool spell we had a couple weeks ago uh, helped uh, to alleviate some of the tick problems. But, um, you know, the, the weather... It's, it's doing some funky stuff. Uh, plants in general are enjoying the wet spring and, and the great summer we're having. I mean, look out the window today. Today has got to be a 10 from a weather standpoint. But, uh, you know, there are some things going on in the natural world that are causing a little bit of concern. Well, it's you know, hotter in other parts of the world. In fact, uh, their global warming has been uh, – cited as a, a, a problem in India, in Japan, uh, in parts of the West. We seem to have lucked out in the New York metropolitan area. Well, you know, looking at global warming, um, what it's doing for us is it, it's creating a little bit of a wetter environment where, you know, the Pacific and the, and the West are, are scorched in, in heat and wildfires. We're getting a little bit more rain which is better than the opposite end of it. But, um, you know, bringing a lot of these uh, bugs from other worlds, and, you know, and, and we talked about this last time, uh, you know, the, the beech trees and many of the oak trees and, 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 and the um, ashes are having a tough time because of insects and diseases that have been brought from other continents. And I'll tell you one that's, that's really uh, an infestation right now, and that's if you remember the gypsy moths, or what they're now called sponge moths. I was taking a drive up through northwest Connecticut a couple of weeks ago, and I noticed that the mountain, the hillsides were bare. Hmm. I mean, this is how many caterpillars there were out there, that they they, they literally defoliated uh, a lot of the trees up, up in the uh, Litchfield Hills and, and here in the Hudson Valley. And if you remember when the last outbreak took place, I can remember over by West Point the same thing happening with trees defoliating out there. And, you know, trees communicate with one another. And after being defoliated a couple of years, uh, an amazing thing happened. Uh, internally, these trees produced an insecticide hmm. uh, in their leaves after two or three years uh, that uh, destroyed the digestive tract of the gypsy moth. And that was their demise back in the 70s. Now, I'm assuming that- Is that a good thing? Uh, it's it's a good thing because if it didn't happen, many trees would probably die. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can't just defoliate a tree year after year without it conducting photosynthesis and, and and hoping it survives. Yes, this is a this is a natural occurrence within trees that is a very good thing uh, that is sustaining tree life. And um, I just hope that happens again, so that you know it seems to be a going really going after oak trees and beech trees and now even maples, and I've seen them on fruit trees. So let's hope again that the trees communicate with one another and they come out with an internal insecticide to eradicate a lot of these gypsy moth problems we're having right now. Well, pest control companies advertise that they can rid your property of mosquitoes and ticks, but uh, does that also kill the pollinators we're trying to encourage, the butterflies, the bees, the ladybugs, the fireflies, the ants, uh, even the bats? It does, Leonard. And uh, as you know, I'm not a big proponent of pesticides. I mean, under certain conditions, I would suggest you in using low impact pesticides mm. rather than, you know, like oils and uh, and soaps. But, uh, you know, when it comes to this whole naturalized native landscaping, a lot of times it has to do with what you plant in your yard. You know, there's there's, uh, there's plants that you can use that, um, that work as a team and that they will, uh, you know, they, they will, you know, 
try and get rid of a lot of pests naturally, companion planting, so to speak. Uh, you know, companion planting is controlling aphids and 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 coddling moths and grasshoppers and Japanese beetles by planting certain things. And now that we're on the subject, let me give you some examples. You know, let's say you got aphids in your garden and you want to control the aphids. Rather than getting out there and spraying, uh, you know, maybe beforehand, you could have planted chives, uh, mint, basil, hmm. uh, even aluminum at the base of the plant that reflects light. Um, and, and this will control aphids on plants. Cockroaches, catnip, bay leaf, cucumber, and garlic will control cockroaches. Uh, coddling moths, lavender, chives, garlic, they control coddling moths, you know. Uh, so there's a lot of companion planting out there that we can do that can control a lot of these pests naturally uh, rather than really jumping into the chemical end of it and 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 creating a, a, a situation that is harmful to us in the natural world. Well, I want to get to the whole business of uh, the positive aspects of native plantings, but also want to take some calls from our listeners. And a reminder that our number here is 212-209-2877. So let's take a call. BAI, you're on the air. Yes, George from Staten Island. Hi. Yeah, the Adirondack Trail is wonderful. Go Monroe. Ah. I, I can't hear you well. Okay. Are you gone? It was a crank call. It was a crank call. Okay. <laughs> well, so let's... That was fun. I guess, you know, when you open up the phones, you never know. We have some wonderful listeners. We, there are also a few jerks out it's there. Really nice well, you know, Leonard, I'm always impressed by your that. listeners. They're all so very knowledgeable, and they, and they really want to talk about yeah, in the past, we, in the natural world. Are your customers at the Garden Center asking you different kinds of questions than they have in the past because of uh, what's been going on more recently? Well, you know, Leonard, it's, it's interesting what's going on in the Garden Center right now. You know, a lot of people are working from home, and they're still home. And, uh, you know, the trends in landscaping are changing. Uh, you know, people are coming in, and, you know, plants and landscaping can be very expensive. So they want to do it right the first time. And, you know, they ask a lot of questions about exposure, uh, soil types. Uh, you know, what can I plant in my yard that uh, will thrive and, uh, and, and, and I can be successful at? So a lot of people are looking at the low maintenance landscaping and, and, and this is, um, you know, landscaping with plants that don't require a, a lot of water, like you said, a lot of pesticides, you know, mimicking the, uh, the type of environment that where plants grow naturally. And many customers are coming in and discussing edible landscaping. Now, you know, with the price of food today, hmm. um, and especially organic uh, type foods, you know, they're wanting to know what can we plant in our yard uh, that we can ingest that are e that's easy to grow. And, you know, I give them a lot of recommendations and, and, and uh, the type of plants that they can grow in their yard. You know, there are a lot of fruits and vegetables. And what I tell them is, you don't, especially if you don't have a lot of room in your yard, you can incorporate a lot of these plants right into the landscape rather than having a, a plot where you have vegetable and, and, and fruit gardens. For instance, like blueberries are a wonderful, uh, not only edible plant, uh, but they're also a very attractive plant. They, you know, this time of year, blueberries are in bloom. And, uh, and, you know, and, and berries thrive while other plants struggle. Do we have any idea why? Well, because, you know, a lot of these plants are what's considered heirloom varieties. Mm. You know, they've been here since the 16 and 1700s. And, you know, they've, they've lived and, and, and learned to survive in all these changes of climates and insects that thrive here. So, you know, over the decades and centuries, you know, they've, they've developed defense mechanisms that help them thrive in a lot of these changes in our climate and, and, and a lot of these extremes that we're having in, in our landscape. Elderberries, for instance, Leonard. Elderberry is a wonderful shrub. Not only it's it, not only is it beautiful and it has a, a very a, a white flower right now, but it has these very small berries uh, that are delicious, that are very good for you. And and you know, here's another plant that has very little insect or 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 disease problems. 
strawberries. A lot of people are using strawberries in their landscape now instead of binka or myrtle or, or pachysandra. And, and, you know, they're using it as a ground cover. And what a great ground cover to use. You know, it spreads. It, 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 it you know, it colonizes, colonizes throughout the garden. And you can uh, eat them. And you can eat them. And they're one of my favorite fruits. Currants, blackberries, fruit trees. You know, a lot of fruit trees, apples, peaches, pears. You know, a lot of these fruit trees are also heirloom-type trees. And you put them on the corner of your house instead of, uh, you know, um, uh, 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 you know, something else like a plum, a purple plum, which is non-native. You know, they have a beautiful flower, and they also... they have a fruit. So you're doing two things. You're decorating the front of your house and you're also putting in something that's going to give you some fruit, uh, you know, in the next couple of years. This is Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM. And with us today is our favorite environmentalist and, and nurseryman, Pete Morosky, the owner of Native Landscapes and Garden Center in Pauling, New York. And when, and we have a bunch of people calling in now. Our number is 212-209-2877. Also want to invite people who want to grow stuff in their apartments because a fair number of our listeners are apartment dwellers. And uh, whether, well, I don't know whether weather is an issue or whether some of the other things we're discussing are issues. So if you have any questions, again, the number one more time, 212-209-2877. Let's go to some of those calls. BAI, you're on the air. Yes. Uh, thank you, Lynette. And I'm glad to hear your guest. I'll make it quick and just hit him with the three questions and I hang up and listen. Okay. How do you like uh, miracle Grow, Mr. Smart? plant man and uh what is moss because sometimes i get this kind of wonderful growth but then i just saw one that started acting peculiar and it had like a like a white moss i this is for house plants uh and it had a white moss in the pot kind of covering the brown uh earth in the pot and the third question would be uh, is misting good at all thanks a lot thanks all right Go ahead. Let's talk, let's talk about the first uh, thing, and that is the miracle grow. Now, miracle grow is called is in the category of a synthetic fertilizer. Okay, um, I'm not a big fan of miracle grow because it gives the plant a quick shot of uh, nutrients. I would prefer, especially with it doesn't matter indoor or outdoor plants, that you use compost or some kind of more of a organic type soil amendment to 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 enrich the plants with uh with nutrients okay when you say compost uh you're talking about things like food scraps and and uh yard waste and 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 leaf mold and every anything old garbage but wouldn't keeping old garbage around the house be a bit unsanitary well you gotta you gotta create a compost pile you gotta you know somewhere out uh, you know, and, and the edge of your property, you got to create an area where, you know, you this this stuff can break down. And 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 a lot of this stuff, you know, I would start with an area where you blow your leaves. You know, if you've got a spot where you're dumping your leaves uh, in, in the woods, and you dig down two or three feet into that leaf pile, and they call that leaf mold. Let me tell you something. That is some of the best soil compost you can put in your garden. It's loaded with microbes mycorrhizal fungi, all these wonderful uh, uh, insects and, and stuff that's so good for plants. And if you mix them with the, with the soil in containers and in your garden, you're going to find that the plants are not only going to be healthier, but, you know, especially when it comes to edible landscaping, they're going to taste better. Uh, you know, it, it, when it comes to, you know, you, you want to go with more of a, uh, get away from the synthetic fertilizers and get away from the pesticides. And and when you do that, you're going to find that not only are the plants going to be healthier, they're going to be able to ward off a lot of the problems. Like he was saying, you got moths in the soil. So something is, is uh, burrowing into the soil and uh, you know, whether it's a caterpillar and, and if it's in a small spot, you get rid of them by, you know, by, by pulling them mechanically with your hand. You don't have to, 
go ahead and spray pesticides, especially inside your home. You know, I would, you know, become a, a casual observer of your landscape. Go out there on a daily basis, and, and, and it's, it's great fun. And take a look at what's going on with your plants. Look underneath. Are you seeing caterpillars? Are you seeing ladybugs? Are you seeing bees working your plants? And one of the things that you got to remember and your listeners got to remember is that not all bugs are bad. A lot of insects are very good. Um, you know, there's a lot of caterpillars. And when it comes to this whole native plant concept, we got to accept some eating of our landscape uh, with, with, with caterpillars, like the monarch, monarch butterfly caterpillar. Anybody knows what they look like. They're very much like zebra looking. They have stripes on them. But they'll go ahead and they'll eat um, 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 uh, you know, a lot of your perennials, uh, and and then they'll cocoon, and and it's okay. It's okay to share our landscape with some of the good insects in our garden. Aren't uh, the monarch but butterflies gotta, disappearing? Well, they are, and that's because we're not planting enough, uh, uh, enough native plants in our landscape. Hmm. Uh, milkweed is one of them. You know, uh, asters, black-eyed susans. Uh, you know, we got to plant more indigenous shrubs and, and, and perennials in our garden. And then we're going to bring a lot of these plants that are on the verge of it, a lot of these insects that are on the verge of extinction because, you know, they've adapted to these plants in our landscape. And, you know, when we come in and we rip and tear our landscape out, we put a lot of these generic plants from China and, and, and Japan and Asia, then these we're creating dead zones in our environment and, and these insects can't ingest them right now. And, you know, we need to bring in plants that they've been eating off of. And, and this whole symbiotic relationship between plants, animals, and insects needs to be brought back into our landscape in order to create, uh, you know, the wilderness and, and, and the wilds um, very much alive. Well, hasn't it been predicted that if the human impact on the environment continues as it has one-third of all bird species and even greater proportion of bird populations will be gone by the end of this century. That's exactly right, Leonard, and it, and it all starts with plants. You know, if we, you know, like, like our good friend Douglas Tellamy says, if we create an environment where each yard has native plants and these birds and insects and, and animals go, can go from yard to yard feeding on what we've, what we've uh, uh, grown for them, then we can we can play a big part of bringing the birds and the natural world back uh, in, in our backyards, and it's and it's a fun watch. You know, you don't necessarily have to put all these bird feeders in our yard in your yard. You can do it by putting the right plants in your yard and and watching them come in. I mean, in my yard, I probably got 150 different types of of, of plants in my yard, and I got hummingbirds, and I got orioles, and I've got cardinals, and I've got all these tanagers and all these wonderful things that we didn't know existed and they're coming in because I brought in a food source for them. And if we all did that, then the bird populations would come back in a very big way. Should we take another call or is there anything else you want to <laughs> say about that first call? Um, no, I think we can take another call. Okay. Then. BAI, you're on the air. Speak to Pete Morosky. Hello. Hello, it's you. Hello. Yes, hi. You're on the air. Hi. Okay, um, this is Lorraine from Teaneck, uh, New Jersey. I wanted to ask him, I, I've been out here and I've been um, planting uh, a, a pallet garden each and every year and this and that and the other. And all of a sudden, around about in the last year or so, the deers have been taken over. And they've been eating up everything. I mean, it, it's just, you know... I don't have the money. I'm a senior citizen, and I don't have the money to, you know, you got to take, I, I guess, to prevent them from coming in, you know, put up uh, uh, whatever boards or whatever and then gate it so they can't enter. And I'm wondering, is there anything that you could uh, do, you know, to prevent this, you know, mm -hmm. with these deers and... Um, I don't know. Maybe I could get a garden going again. I don't know. Pete, well, what, what about deer? Yeah, well, what you want to do is there's a very long and lengthy list of plants that deer won't eat. And, and, and I'll give you some examples of that. You know, there's, uh, there's the clether or the sweet pepper bush. Uh, sweet pepper? Which is, yeah, sweet pepper or clether is the Latin name. You know, here's a shrub 
that's in that's going to be in bloom in the next couple of weeks that smells just like a lilac. And, you know, the deer don't tend to bother these shrubs. Uh, you know, the American witch hazel is another great example of a shrub that the deer doesn't eat. You know, the St. John's wort, um, you know, the, the spice bushes, the bayberries, the blueberries, the viburnums. I mean, these are all plants and shrubs. And I mean, I could sit here uh, for a half hour and rattle off all these different plants that are fairly deer resistant. And it goes mm -hmm. into perennials too, you know, um, mm -hmm. butterfly weed, Asclepias tuberosa is, is another plant that's deer resistant. I think what you need to do to be a success with the, with the amount of deer you have in your yard is make sure you're bringing in plants that are deer resistant. And when you go to your local garden center, ask them, mm -hmm. I've been inundated with deer. What kind mm -hmm. of plants can I put in my garden that will, uh, that the deer won't bother? And you'll find that there's a lot of them out there okay. and you just want to, you want to use them and not the plants that they're eating. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have one more question also. I forgot the name of this. It's a, it's a red, uh, a red, it looks like a ladybug. It's very red and it lives underneath the soil. And um, they eat certain type of lilies. Oh, they have really destroyed my whole <laughs> lilies and daylilies and all that stuff. And before yeah, it, you it, know it, they're up again. You know, you, I don't, because I don't like uh, pesticides. I don't spread pesticides. But I went to this uh, called the environmental uh, place, and they told me what to get and whatever. But it was, it was, I checked it out and there was stuff in there that was toxic, so I stopped using it. But they're very, I don't know, I don't, I can't recall the name of it. Maybe you know? Yeah, it's a type of beetle. And what you want to do is it you looked, want, like yeah. I said, you want to, you want to check the soil and underneath the leaves of your plant on a regular basis and grab this thing and kill it and throw it in the toilet. But, you know, you, you're bringing up, you know, a, 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 a good example of good and bad insects in the garden. Ladybugs yeah. in general are very good. You know, they eat right. a lot of aphids. They, you know, they'll they'll come in and, 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 and work a lot of the problem insects. But there are many different types of beetles, uh, like the Japanese beetle, you know, which is hatching right now. You know, here's a beetle that uh, that's in the ground and it, uh, it, it comes out and it, it just, it ravishes everything. Yeah. In fact, um, what we do a lot, you know, from an organic standpoint is we'll put down milky spore, which is an organic soil um, What's uh, the name treatment. Of that? Milky spore. Milky spore, okay. S-P-O-R-E. S-P-O-R-E, milky spore, which is mm -hmm. an organic treatment that takes care of um, uh, Japanese beetles and a lot of the beetles that exist out there. Um, and it's not very harm, it's not harmful at all uh, to mm -hmm. the environment. So, okay. you, you know, you want to get to know, you know, what works, what doesn't, um, right. you know, what's, you know, what is toxic, what isn't toxic, and, mm -hmm. and, and, and try to uh, head into the non-toxic um, uh, type of regimen and, and, and take away a lot of these nasty chemicals that are, that are creating problems in the natural world. Okay, yeah. well, thank you so much for your call. I'll do that. Thank you so much. And uh, we have a lot of other people calling in. We're going to take a little break here and come back with those calls. Remember, our number is 212-209-2877. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. We're back with Pete Morosky, an environmentalist and nurseryman and the owner of Native Landscapes and Garden Center 
on Route 22 in Pauling, New York, and we're taking your calls at 212-209-2877. And a reminder uh, before we get to those calls that uh, some people are actually, uh, because of the pandemic, have been growing uh, things indoors. And I'm wondering whether... uh, any of those people have questions as well. Okay, let's go to some of the calls. BAI, you're on the air. Hello? Hello? Yes, it's you. Hi, is it me? It's, say, it's you, yes. Oh, okay. Um, I'm a transplant from Chicago, and I live in Brooklyn, and I'm a citizen pruner, so I try to help the street trees and uh, some of the neglected smaller parks. And what I notice is that the soil is so depleted, it's like sand and clay, and there's no humus in it. I never see a worm, even when I dig in there. There's um, there's some naturally occurring plants like lamb's quarters. Um, but uh, I, I thought about maybe introducing red wigglers and um, my, I forget how to pronounce it, but the something derived from mushrooms that, that proliferates under the ground. What is that called? Anyway, what can I? Is there something you could do do to introduce worms into a, a, a harsh environment like that in the soil? Um, and if you can, is there something, some kind of medium that you should have accompanying the worms? To, the yeah, to improve You're soil saying, structure. It's soils. Soil is the heartbeat of whatever is growing in it, and if there's no organic in the soil. Plants become anemic, they turn yellow, they get weak, and in many instances, they die. So what you want to do is you want to bring in, you want to build the soil. You want to build the soil body. And like I, like I was saying earlier on in the show, um, you know, leaf mulch, any kind of natural uh, soil amendment that you can get into that soil always works. And just remember... Stay away from a lot of these colored mulches, these orange, these reds, these blue mulches. They don't do anything for the natural world. You want to get native uh, 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 mulch, shredded bark mulch from indigenous trees. Uh, You want to mix that with some chips. You want to mix it with a little bit of leaf mold. And you want to incorporate it around, uh, you know, the roots of of anything you're planting. And even when when you're planting new shrubs in the landscape, uh, you know, you, you dig the hole, you put the soil off to the side and incorporate some of that native leaf moldy uh, uh, mulch into that soil. So when that when these plants grow, they can get into that real nice, rich soil. And 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 and, a lo- and this is what creates live soil, you know, soil that that has microbes in it. And, and, and that's going to make your plants a lot healthier. Rather than yeah, uh, I, you know, I, I'm an experienced gardener, and I I totally understand that. But I'm in, I'm working in an environment now where other people come along and remove all of that mm-hmm. if it's left on the surface of the soil, and if I don't have the money to go out and buy like a bark mulch to cover over it or soil to cover over it, um, it's not allowed to rot into the existing soil. So I'm really thinking about something that I can put underneath the surface of the soil that other people won't be able to come along and remove. Yeah, what you can do is you can you can go with a spike and spike in a lot of this compost. And so who's removing this stuff from the soil? Uh, the people who own the buildings, you know, even though the tree pits belong to the public, you know, they, they are on the side, public sidewalk that has a building on the other side of the sidewalk. And the people who, you know, clean the floors in that building, use leaf blowers, and they come out and, and they just want something that looks as neat as their living room. They take out all of the naturally occurring plants. They, they don't pull them up by the roots, so they keep coming back year after year. Well, this but is where they, education becomes a, a, a big factor. Yeah, and know. I think the city itself needs to be educated. Um, you know, they're spending all this money planting all these trees, and a lot of the trees just die in their infancy. People come along and rip branches off of the trees just so they can get out of their cars. And, you know, I try to prune all that stuff off to, to keep, you know, to have clean cuts at least. Um, and that helps the trees. I've, I've helped a lot of individual trees retain some of their lower branches um, that way. But, oh, my, I have another more simple question. 
how do you um, get rid of an invasive, established wisteria vine that's becoming a jungle menace over, you know, like six properties that have contiguous borders? I mean, this is like a jungle, this wisteria. Wisteria is a tough one. You know, you got to just keep pruning it and pruning it and pruning it and and find out what the source is and get right right where it's... The source is in my friend's yard, but it's now taking over the phone line. It's developing itself into things that look like trees. It's, it's becoming a tree unto itself because it's, it's already um, spread across at least six lots that have contiguous um, borders. And I could, if I could inject something into the root or the crown of the original source of this wisteria, that would spread throughout the entire plant, then I could I could eradicate it. You know. Um, well, you know this. You know, as much as I as much as I hate using pesticides, there are anaerobic methods uh, to get rid of things. In other words, you know, you find out the source of, of 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 where the roots begin. You cut it. You cut it right there, and you dab some. You know, you're not putting this herbicide in the environment, but you're putting it right on the trunk of the tree and it'll translocate into the roots and that'll kill it. You know, as much as I hate to use pesticides, you're giving me a great example of a situation where if it's done correctly, you're not getting it into the environment, but you're getting it into the plant before it creates catastrophic damage in your neighborhood. So sometimes you got to bite the bullet Mm -hmm. a little bit to get to the source of the problem. And, um, you know, you, you may need to go that route and you may need to get all your neighbors involved in this in order, you know, to make it a, 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 a real neighborhood, uh, you know, bring them all together and, 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 and have them all cut the plant down as best they can. You know, the, if the wisteria can't conduct photosynthesis, that'll weaken the plant, too. But you got to start somewhere. And I would start by hacking it back where it's growing on in everybody's yard, finding the source where it's coming out of the ground and do something there that'll that'll kill the plant so that it, uh, it it won't come back. Thank you so much for your call. Let's go to another caller. BAI, you're on the air. Yeah, uh, you, you you said that you you could use mint and garlic to kill cockroaches. Uh, can you explain exactly how how you go about doing that? Well, you plant you plant it around your house. House cat catnip. Uh, bay leaves, cucumbers, garlic, they don't like the smell of this. So when you plant it around the perimeter of your home or in any areas that you have like a little bit of soil that you, you can get some of this in the ground close to a, a crack or where they might come in, even inside the house, set up containers inside the house and plant this stuff inside the house, you know, They'll 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 go somewhere else because they don't like the smell and and the taste of a lot of, of a lot of these type of plants. Okay, so you say it was mint, garlic, and what, what are the other two? Catnip. You said catnip, cucumber. Catnip, catnip. Bay leaves. Cucumbers. And garlic. Oh, garlic. Okay. Hmm. All right. Thanks very much. Thank you. You're welcome. And uh, let's take another call. Well, we oh, let me remind people who my guest is. Uh, he's Pete Morosky, a regular on our show. He's an environmentalist and nursery man. And uh, you, Pete, when you founded your business in 1987, weren't your customers less interested in native plantings and in environmental landscaping? Have things well, changed a lot over the years since? They really knew nothing about it, you know. It was something that I have taught, you know. It's something that I got into that I did a lot of reading when I was younger, and I, and then I got into and, and I studied, studied in college. Looked, studied in college, uh, looked at the symbiotic relationship between plants, animals, and insects, and and said that you know this is just a common sense approach to land management practices, and staying away from a lot of the pesticides, going with you know a lot of these. Uh, growers didn't know nothing about, uh, you know, native plants. You know, I grow barberry and I grow uh, Fitzer juniper because that's what people buy. Now that people are becoming more educated in the whole native plant concept, uh, it's, it's, it's really become mainstream. And, and Leonard, I, I'd like to talk a little bit, if I could, 
about organic gardening, you know, and, and it's so important today because uh, of the price of food. I think we all need to get out there and learn how to grow our own fruits and vegetables because we're going to save ourselves a ton of money. It's a great and can it we do it in our apartments? Because I, I well, don't I don't have an outdoor space. Well, you could kitchen gardens, you know, mm -hmm. terrace gardens, balcony gardens. You know, if you even have limited space, you can you can do this with dwarf varieties of plants. Are there uh, certain peppers. are there certain fruits and vegetables and herbs that are better for that? I mean, Absolutely. Um, and, and and let me give you some examples. You know, if you've got limited space, you know, keep it simple. Go with stuff that you're going to use for cooking in, a, in, a, in your house. Like, you know, use sage, grow thyme in a, in, a, in, a, in a bright window, grow parsley, grow ginger in small containers, and, and, and you can use them in your cooking. You know, if, you have, if you're up in, a, in, a, in an apartment building and you have a small terrace or a balcony and you have limited space, you know, grow dwarf varieties of, of different uh, 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 shrubs and 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 uh, fruit trees and and vegetables. You know, peppers, carrots. You know, these are all plants that require you know small spaces. Tomatoes, peas, peas. Uh, peas. Use vertical gardening. Espalier. You know, this is this is what the French used to do when they were when they were doing terrace gardens in France. You know, you can train trees to grow like a vine. You can train peas to grow on a wall you know if you get a little creative with limited space you can train these plants to do that don't and, they and also you, clean the inside air they also they take carbon dioxide out of the air they put oxygen in the air this is a win-win uh for everybody you know and it all starts with the containers you know make sure you're using good container soil you know, you don't want to just go out in the, in the yard and start digging up soil and put it in a container. That creates soil compaction. You want to mix it with vermiculite and, and peat moss and uh, compost and all this stuff that lightens the soil because, you know, roots need air transfer. So you got to and you and you want clean soil, you, um, you know, free of, of, of bugs that'll that'll, uh, you know, create havoc with the roots of your plants. So. And you want to make sure you got a sunny spot uh, for a lot of these containers, a sunny window. Um, you know, you want to make sure if it's a windy spot, you want to make sure that you're, you know, you're misting the plants on a regular basis so that the wind, uh, you know, the wind doesn't dry things out. And like I said before, Leonard, keep it simple. Raised beds. Use heirloom varieties. There are so many varieties of vegetables and fruits out there that are, that have been that that gardeners have been growing since the 1600s that are less susceptible to diseases and insects. Uh, you you got to bring them in to 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 grow those type of plants. Um, you know, bring in wildlife to help control harmful insects. Uh, you know, you go you, this whole native plant concept. You know, not only are you bringing in wildlife and sustaining them, but you're bringing them in to help you with. With your vegetable and you, fruit garden. You're talking about dogs and cats? Well, um, no, we're talking about birds. Oh. We're talking about, you know, uh, possums uh, do their job. They're big tick eaters. Um, you know, raccoons do some great work as far as uh, eating, um, you know, mice and, and, and insects and molds and voles. So you want to create this whole symbiotic relationship within the garden so that you know they all work as a team, and you don't. And, and if you if you have this whole thing going on in your garden, you don't have to spray so many pesticides. Okay, let's take another call. Bai, you're on the air. Oh hi. Um, I want to thank you for having this discussion. It's so important. Um, my name is Taffy Williams, and I'm with NY4Wildlife.org, and we're working on a, a lot of things, including growing milkweed and trying to get uh, more um, more facilities and places to grow it, and also the use of leaf blowers. And one person mentioned earlier about leaf blowers, and I want to point out this is a huge problem, and I we call it here at NY for Wildlife, we call it the sterilization of America. The use of leaf blowers, are these are powerful enough to move leaves around, and they are certainly powerful enough to um, uh, expose 
underneath the soil and lift all of the insects that are living in the uh, ecosystem, which is the soil and the ground, and blow them up and out. And this really is sterilizing uh, the earth. The leaf blowers will, will blow up the mulch and uh, detritus that's there, the decaying leaf matter and all of this. So leaf blowers are sterilizing the soil. And people are using these leaf blowers over the grass, over the ground. They're not limiting them to driveways and sidewalks, which they're fine. But when they I'm put sorry. them on the ground. What, what was your name said, again? Uh, Taffy Williams. Kathy, you're absolutely right. And this is yes. the reason why a lot of leaf blowers are, be, are being banned in a lot of Westchester County towns, because, you know, you you're bringing in a hurricane and you're just really messing up the natural world. There's a reason why, you know, we put this beautiful mulch down and, and, and we yes. try to create this this environment so that, you know, plants can feed and, 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 they, and they can work as a team with one another. But these blowers are destroying uh, you know, they're taking a big part of this this equation out, and you're absolutely right. Thank we you. gotta we gotta ban the leaf blowers. I mean, what's wrong with a rake and get rid of you know some of the debris and hand picking things like that? And you're you know, aerating at the same happen. time with a rake. That's you're right. You're aerating. You actually feather the soil so it looks like it's got uh, like a shag carpet, and all of those insects there that feed our birds, our migrating birds, who eat ninety to one hundred percent of insects. That's all they eat, some of them, the warblers and some of the other things. Bluebirds. They're gone. They're, well, you know, a small part of their diet is the berry, but the, the bulk, they have to catch bugs and they feed their chicks. So all of that is being, it, it's the use of leaf blowers is leading to sterilization of insects and extinction of insects and the inability of birds oh. to reproduce in your yard. And also, not only that, the, the force of air, and this is not just gasoline. These are electric leaf blowers. They're powerful enough to blow up the leaves. They can certainly blow up those tiny microscopic microbes and the tiny insects and all the things that live under the ground. And let's not forget that a lot of those bees, dozens of species, live and burrow into the ground. They live under the ground. But the leaf blowers also, that force of air, that jet is so powerful, it's going to penetrate the topsoil and get into those little tunnels and cause the death of those uh, insects. And so the tunnels are closed up. And guess what happens? We have more flooding. Incrementally, over thousands of lawns that people are using leaf blowers more and more. This is a catastrophe for insect life, for bird life, or for the earth. This is a catastrophe. This is sterilization. Well, we have Kathy? to leave it there, unfortunately, because we wanted to get a few more calls in and we're running out of time. But thank you so much for your very informative call. Great points, Kathy. Great points. Keep up the good work. BAI, you're on the air. Hello? Yes, hi. Hi. Thank you so very much. I plug uh, that everyone tried to please give to the tariff one. Um, I'd like to know, um, what with, with apartment uh, growing, and I'm glad you brought it up, Leonard, um, I'd like to know, like, what kind of greens are easy to, to grow in an apartment? And is there some kind of a guide or a book? that you would recommend and thank you yeah. so very much again yeah you, you need to go into uh you can you can go online and uh you know a lot of the small stuff a, a lot of the kales uh lettuces and then you know the nice part about growing indoor in an apartment is that you can change it up every three or four weeks you know mm -hmm. if something gets uh too far gone and gets stale you can remove that plant put more seeds in I mean, you can literally grow plants year-round inside your home, uh, bringing in the right plants. Like um, tomatoes, you know, for example. Tomatoes, as long as you've got enough light, Leonard, tomatoes are a great variety. And like I said, was saying before, stay with the heirloom varieties. Mm -hmm. Russell sprouts, if you've got deep containers, carrots, peppers are very easy to grow. Uh, and and you said herbs because you can use them in your cooking. That's right. Uh, peas, uh, radishes, radishes. You know they they you you put them in from seed and they'll, you know they'll they'll become a a, a, a radish uh, root uh, within weeks. Uh, like you said, tomatoes, beans. I mean, you know the list is endless of stuff you can grow inside in a sunny window, 
And as long as you have some movement of the air and some good soil, uh, you can make this happen in, in a very big way. Thank you for your call. I'm going to try to sneak another call in here. We have another call, no? Yeah. BAI, you're on the air. Yes, good afternoon. Is that me? It's you. Okay. Um, I have, uh, uh, I'd like to ask, uh, I have a lot of uh, weeds in my garden, and I also have a lot of bottled liquor that I never used. Is it possible to use that liquor on the weeds? But I do have a problem with ants, so I don't know if the sugar content may affect that. When you talk about, you talk about scotch and, and uh, yes. bourbon and such? Yes. <laughs> I, well, I... You don't have friends? <laughs> yes, I, I don't want to... The alcohol, it's, it's a bit on the old side, so I wouldn't oh. even dream of giving it to them. Okay. Here's what you do. You know, you're going to ch- change the soil structure by adding alcohol to your soil. I don't recommend doing that. What okay. you do is get out there and and clean sweep all the weeds in your garden one and one time. And now's the time to do it because if you do it now, we're about to go into the heat of the summer and that'll slow the growth down. And as soon as you clean the garden, put a, put a, put a good layer of mulch down and that'll keep the weeds out for the whole summer. But you just, you got to get in there one time and clean it all out and then mulch it. And, and, and the mulch is, is, is stuff like old garbage and things. No, no, no. Mulch is shredded bark. Hmm. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, like I said before, leaf, uh, leaf litter, uh, anything that's natural. You want to stay with a natural decomposite, decomposed uh, material. Um, and, and if you want it to be a little bit more, uh, you know, prettier, you could use uh, the, the, the natural shredded bark mulch. And, and but, Pete, uh, we've run out of time, unfortunately. But uh, how can people... We were just getting started, Leonard. <laughs> well, you'll, you'll be back. How can people contact you when we're not on the air? Well, it's Pete at nativelandscaping.net, nlpauling at gmail.com, or come on up on the train. We're right... The Metro North train stops right behind the garden center on the Appalachian Trail. Come on up, take a hike in the woods, stop by the garden center... And spend a day up here. You'll love it. We have, it's a beautiful little community and a beautiful little spot here in Dutchess County. Walk the Appalachian Trail. Uh, Pete Muraski, M-U-R-O-S-K-I. His uh, company is Native Landscapes and Garden Center in Pauling, New York, on Route 22. Thank you again, Pete, and we'll see you in a couple of months. Thank you, Leonard. And that brings us to the end of our show. If you'd like to check out more about one-hour interviews on one subject, you can access our archive of over 700 shows at WBAI.org or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else that podcasts are available. And you can find links to all of our past shows at LeonardLopateAtLarge.com. If you'd like to reach me directly, my email address is LeonardLopate at WBAI.org. Right now, I, got, I need to ask you to consider stepping up and supporting WBAI as we struggle to stay afloat during these difficult times and, and uh, to, to pay our transmitter fee at the tower at Fort Times Square. It's $17,000 a month, and we are two months past due. So we're asking all of our listeners who haven't taken that step already to make a tax-deductible contribution at whatever level they're comfortable with by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling to... 212-209-2950 right now. That's give and the number 2WBAI.org or 212-209-2950. Um, you might also consider becoming a sustaining member, what we call a BAI buddy, and we'd be happy to send you a WBAI tote bag if you sign up to become a BAI buddy for $10 or more. But either way, I hope you'll call right now because BAI relies 100% on listener donations. We, we don't take ads or foundation grants, which allows us to be completely free speech radio. So please make that call, 212-209-2950. Go online to give to WBAI.org and help support independent radio. And don't forget to make that tax-deductible contribution in the name of Leonard Lopate at large. And from all of us at the station, thank you very much. We're off tomorrow, but I hope you can join us again on Friday when Michael Patrick McDonald will fill us in on all the turmoil that's affecting politics in Ireland and the British Isles.